0: Welcome to Counter-Apologetics. <laughs> Welcome to Counterapologetics, apologetics I'm your host, Emerson Green, and today we'll be continuing our series on epistemology. Can testimony provide adequate justification for any of our beliefs, or is testimonial evidence basically worthless? A lot of skeptics and atheists seem to think it's either worthless or very close to it. So first, what is testimony? It's very complicated. Testimony is when other people tell you things. That's it. So why are skeptics so down on other people telling you things? Well, testimony can be unreliable. People make honest mistakes, they're subject to biases, their faculties can mislead them, not to mention, people sometimes lie. Even setting that possibility aside, we have hard evidence that eyewitness testimony, for example, is unreliable. Of course, none of these people actually conducted those experiments themselves, they hear about that hard evidence on podcasts, YouTube channels, articles, and so on then they believe that you can't trust testimony on the basis of the testimony they received about its untrustworthiness. No one thinks testimonial evidence is the top shelf gold standard of evidence, that it's irrefutable proof or couldn't possibly be misleading. So why do skeptics think it's so damning to point out that testimony is not an infallible guide to truth? There's a bit of a gap between X is fallible and X provides no justification for anything. Testimony does provide some justification and it's fallible. It's not really unique in that way. Our senses are fallible. Does that mean that our senses can't provide evidential support for anything? Of course not. They're fallible and they confer justification. Scientific instruments are also fallible. Does that mean we should toss out results produced by scientific instruments? The experts in a given field are also fallible, and so on. That it's fallible is not enough to justify the idea that testimony provides no justification for a given belief. Maybe the problem is supposed to be that testimony is so unreliable. Infallibility is too high of a standard, sure, but we still want things to be reliable more often than not. But does testimony really fail this test? Think about all the things you believe where testimony played a crucial role in forming the belief. To quote Michael Humer, Almost all my interesting knowledge about the world is based on testimony. I know, for example, that the Earth is about 4.5 billion years old, that Japan is a country, that the U.S. originated from British colonies, that tables are made of atoms, and that the stars in the night sky are distant suns. I didn't figure out any of that myself. I learned all of it from other people. Without testimony, practically none of my current beliefs would be justified. End quote. Without testimony, how would we learn about most history? How would we learn about scientific findings that we didn't discover personally? Really, how would we know about much of anything outside our immediate field of awareness? Some philosophers argue that you're justified in trusting testimonial evidence by default. That's our starting point. The default is to trust it, to assume that what people are saying is by and large true, or at least reasonable to think given the evidence that they have available to them. That's the beginning assumption, and we'd need specific grounds to doubt a piece of testimonial evidence, not to trust it. Just to reiterate the point that's going to preclude 90% of the skeptical objections to this, you're justified in trusting testimony by default, as long as you have no specific grounds for doubt about a given piece of testimony. But why would you think it's definitely true? Well, I didn't say that. I said you are justified in trusting testimony by default didn't say it was definitely true. But what if they have an extensive history of lying about the subject? That would be a good reason for doubt. Their testimonial claim to have built a perpetual motion machine contradicts the laws of thermodynamics. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty good reason to doubt their testimony. Again, you're justified in trusting testimony by default as long as you have no specific grounds for doubt. So why would we be entitled to trust testimony by default? Induction doesn't solve the problem by itself, not by a long shot, but it's worth mentioning that the category of testimonial evidence enjoys plenty of inductive support. Individual sources of information can be deemed less trustworthy by the same standard. For instance, after checking up on numerous claims made by leaders in the skeptic community, I found out that they should not be trusted to accurately represent what their opponents believe and why. So even though the category of testimonial evidence enjoys some degree of inductive support, We can use the same standard to downgrade the value of testimony from those with a terrible track record. Another reason we might be entitled to trust testimony by default is the principle of charity and interpretation, which holds that one must try to interpret other people's words in a way that makes their statements by and large correct or at least reasonable. Ordinary communication would be nearly impossible without this presumption. When someone makes a claim, we assume, all else equal, that they're telling the truth we also assume they're using words in a normal way. In the same way that we assume that you're using words in a standard, mutually understood way until being given reason to think otherwise, we also assume that you're telling us how the world seems to you until we have reason to think otherwise. Both are built into our ability to interpret what anyone else is saying. If we start by taking no one's word for anything and not believing that your testimony correlates at all with how the world seems to you, then communication and understanding would break down entirely. So induction and the principle of charity can provide some degree of support for trusting testimony, but can they really justify the high degree of confidence we ordinarily have in beliefs based on testimony? According to Humor, coherence is an important factor that can also potentially ease some of the worries related to the permissiveness of testimonial support. Coherence, with respect to our web of beliefs, can help us weed out bad ideas and provide a higher degree of support for beliefs that are central to our belief system. In Understanding Knowledge, Humor says, I know that America had its origin in colonies that rebelled against Britain. This is not just a plausible conjecture for me, slightly more likely than not. That is something about which I have no serious doubts at all, even though my knowledge is purely testimonial. If I meet someone who expresses doubt about it, I will dismiss that person as not serious. So how is this so certain for me? I think the best answer is essentially to appeal to coherence. I don't just have a simple inductive inference from the testimonial claims that I have checked, I can also compare testimonial claims to each other. The standard views about history, and various other matters, that I've acquired from others, fit together in a way that would make it hard for just one to be false. Particularly one is central as the belief about the origin of the U.S., Some less central beliefs could of course be mistaken without causing too much trouble for the rest of the system. The coherence of the system means that it's highly likely to be by and large correct, and that the particularly central beliefs are particularly probable. And it's not just my beliefs about history that figure into this coherent system, it's also my beliefs about the present, especially my beliefs about other people, my understanding of where the standard historical doctrines came from, In other words, from professional historians who do research, from documents and artifacts that have been passed down, etc., fits with their being by and large reliable, especially about things like where the US came from, which is not a particularly difficult thing to know. By contrast, if I hypothesize that they were radically mistaken, or that the historians are lying about this kind of thing, I have no way of explaining how that works. I have no plausible account of how people would make such a colossal error without anyone finding out. Or how and why historians would conspire to deliberately hide the truth from the rest of us. Any account I try to invent about how it might be that I'm radically wrong about how the US was founded involves super implausible paranoid delusion style stories. It requires supposing that historians or some other nefarious actors are unlike the normal people I've met in my life. All this is summed up by saying that my belief system is a lot more coherent with the belief that the US was founded by rebellious British colonists. Than with its denial. End quote. By the way, accepting that coherence provides some degree of justification doesn't make you a coherentist as opposed to a foundationalist. The disagreement between those two camps is over whether epistemic foundations exist, not over whether coherence provides any justification whatsoever. The foundationalist thinks that there are basic foundational truths that are justified without being based on other beliefs and that the coherentist view can't get off the ground without implicitly making use of such foundations, despite their insistence to the contrary. A reasonable foundationalist will grant that coherence can justify, it's obviously not irrelevant with respect to justification, whether a belief fits nicely with other well-established beliefs, or whether it doesn't cohere at all, whether a belief is central in our web of beliefs, or whether it's inessential. Whether there is or isn't an alternative coherent theory that could explain our being systematically mistaken. If your beliefs fit together in a way that would make it hard for just one of them to be false, that's obviously not irrelevant with respect to justification, but it just doesn't make you a coherentist. You can still be a foundationalist and also accept everything I just said about coherence. But returning to testimonial evidence, testimony is an indispensable source of knowledge. Anyone who claims to reject it entirely has zero clue what they're talking about. However, it is a genuine puzzle as to why testimony should provide the high degree of justification we ordinarily act as if it does. Induction can help a little bit. The principle of charity and interpretation can also help. To quote humor again, The rational way of interpreting language using the principle of charity inherently presupposes that most statements are true, or at least apparently true, given the speaker's evidence. And finally, an appeal to coherence can justify the weight that we give to a good deal of testimony, and help weed out testimony that we shouldn't trust. Briefly return to the skeptical concerns about testimony, and I'll try to steel man those worries in my own words. This isn't necessarily how a skeptic would put it themselves, but I take it that I'm still identifying the alleged problem. I think a useful analogy here is that of underdetermination. Underdetermination, roughly, is the idea that the evidence available to us is insufficient to determine which beliefs we ought to form in response to the evidence. The data are consistent with any number of theories. And further, the evidence we have may provide equally good support for a number of different models. For example, here's how the SCP entry on underdetermination begins. Quote: At the heart of the underdetermination of scientific theory by evidence is the simple idea that the evidence available to us at a given time may be insufficient to determine what beliefs we should hold in response to it. In a textbook example, if all I know is that you spent $10 on apples and oranges, and the apples cost $1, while oranges cost $2, then I know that you did not buy six oranges, but I don't know whether you bought one orange and eight apples, two oranges and six apples, and so on. End quote. The problem with testimonial evidence, I take it, is that it can be interpreted in many different ways. If you think about testimony of alien abductions, there's the more straightforward reading of it. In other words, they were literally abducted by aliens but there are other ways of understanding how this testimonial evidence found its way to us. Of course, maybe the witness is lying or exaggerating, but we don't need to go there. There are a number of deflationary, skeptic-friendly interpretations of the testimonies of alien abductees. In fact, even those who believe that some alien abductions are genuine would still want to help themselves to these skeptical explanations in some cases, since no one believes that literally every single abductee is providing a veridical account of events. So, one way to put the skeptic's problem with testimonial evidence is that there are many ways to interpret the data, the testimony, other than the face-value interpretation. And many of these alternative explanations possess virtues that the face-value interpretation does not. For example, the deflationary explanations make for a better fit with our background knowledge. We don't have to invoke anything that we don't already know about or add to our ontology. That's all completely reasonable, but in order to make that sort of point, we don't need to cast doubt on testimonial evidence as a whole. That would be a pretty indirect strategy for defending your skeptical conclusions, to cast doubt on the category of testimonial evidence. And of course, doing so has all sorts of unfortunate byproducts, since so much of our ordinary knowledge is supported by testimony. In case I'm not getting through to you, not only is it a weird strategy, But it is also completely insane, since a vast amount of knowledge relies crucially on testimonial evidence. It would be the most extreme case of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, other than literally throwing a baby out with the bathwater. (laughs) ¶¶ If you're looking for some general epistemology stuff, I have a different series over on Walden Pod, where we're talking about some issues in epistemology that are not strictly related to religion and atheism. This has been Counter Apologetics. Thank you for listening. I've been Emerson Green, and I'll talk to you next time.